0: You know, life is not going to come to a standstill if I don't agree with you. Like, real love. Like, look, i got to know the person.
1: (laughs) Gay marriage, gay rights, homosexuality. My opinion is, Um, like, empathy. I guess I have an opinion. Empathy. They don't call you pickles anymore? Someone asks, what what is it like to lose your dad? Well, it's kind of like the railing on the porch.
0: Like, if she she hadn't had an aide in the classroom, she wouldn't have been able to change my life forever.
1: There's good in all kids. Mm-hmm. There's good in Getting to know
0: somebody, thinking the thoughts of the other might yes. be a hugely healing thing. I got death
1: so I, I got exactly universal health taxes, confederate right. monuments. Oh, race, oh my God. Thank you on behalf of all humanity.
0: Thank you on behalf of all humanity.
1: Welcome to Like You, where I talk to real people about their lives, what they believe, and why they believe it. My name is John Zelson. Subscribe on any podcast service or listen from the website at likeyoupodcast.org. This is episode five. It's part one of my interview with Emma. As you've probably sorted out, the design of the podcast is to first just enjoy meeting someone. After you spend a little time getting to know someone and showing that you just wanna understand them, not argue with them, it becomes possible to ask hard questions and have useful discussions, even about the divisive issues of the day. I mentioned the design of the podcast because in this episode, Emma turned my process upside down and backwards. The interview almost immediately deviates from my plans, but people are more interesting than my plan. I aspire to give you an authentic portrayal, and I think that means I need to follow the person, not my plan. So I met Emma like this. I was mid-thought about how I wanted to interview someone with a different life experience and political views as the other people I've talked to so far. And I just looked up, and there she was. Well, she was on CNN, <laughs> being interviewed as a public school teacher in Detroit. She had almost three minutes to describe the issues with our education system. I think I laughed out loud because these moments seem typical. The interview was well done for what it was and I accept that there's a place for shiny news anchors pundits and experts but I just want to hear a lot more from real people like Emma. So I was able to find her contact info we talked and she was game to help with this podcast. She's super busy so I had to schedule a month or two in advance. The interview was conducted over two sessions in May 2018. So fasten your seatbelts if you're driving, fold your laundry, take the dog for a walk. Let's meet Emma. I love that I totally call you out of the blue in your game to do it. I think that's really fun.
0: Oh yeah, no, that's totally exciting. Well, when you mentioned like talking about or talking with people and trying to like build relationships versus like sort of reducing people down to the shorthand that you were talking about, whether you agree with them or not. Yes. I do find that really interesting because that's a lot of what teaching is. Um, and that's what a lot of like ed reformers miss about teaching is that it's about building relationships <laughs> um, and students are people. And, you know, <laughs> they when they're treated like people, um, you know, they have a much easier time um, being vulnerable and curious and all the things that you need to be in order to, to learn things. Um, of course, there's very little space for that in our current educational paradigm. Um, but, yeah, so that was intriguing.
1: I love it. And um, they, they are, they're little people, though. Have you noticed? They're smaller. They are
0: little people. They are smaller. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> but they're still people. But
0: preclude them from their people Yes.
1: Let's see. So anything you don't want to talk about, you don't want to talk about. Even if you do talk about something, you can take it out later. You'll have time to take a deep breath and decide whether you want to. That's awesome. Thank yeah. you. Oh, my God. I also, yeah. like,
0: just to put it out there, I am someone who, like,
1: verbally processes, which
0: is extremely inconvenient. Um, <laughs> but with that, it's so inconvenient because sometimes what I have to – and this is why I think what you're doing is important. Sometimes I have to say something out loud to see whether or not it fits right with me. Um, and so sometimes – like I feel like in these conversations, um, that I have with other people, um, sometimes I have to say something to realize that that's not actually a position that I hold, or that you know it doesn't sound right. Um, and so I do a lot of like, <laughs> talking and then recanting, um, which uh-huh. doesn't mean that I would ever want you to take anything out, but just that you know, through the course of the conversation, sometimes I realize that I'm wrong or that, um. It just by saying it, I kind of realized that that's not really true for me anymore. So, I'm not worried about having to like stop or mm-hmm. like redo it or or get rid of it. But I just like I find that that's part of the reason why these conversations are really important. Is that like if you have a space to talk through something and be honest and authentic in your opinion, a lot of times once you've expressed it to another human being, you're like, oh, well, actually, I'm not sure that's not really how I feel anymore.
1: I um. I like that really strongly.
0: My students have a symbol that they'll give me if I'm like, because <laughs> I get excited and I'll start talking about something and I'll just go off and I'll look up and they'll be all lost. And they'll be <laughs> frantically gesturing to me to stop.
1: <laughs> like, oh I don't know God. what you're talking about. Here's what I want to do. I wanna um ask different questions but I have to I have to struggle because like there's so much good material already that I wanna ask you about and just what you've already said. But I'm gonna start from the beginning because uh part of the fun is kind of framing a, a person in a in a, this holistic way. Uh someone asked you like uh well, where were you born?
0: Mm-hmm. Do you want me to answer right now?
1: <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'm going, okay. I'm off and going. Um,
0: so I no, I'm sorry. Uh so I was born in Rochester, New York. Um which is actually not a super different city from where I live now in Detroit. Maybe it's like a a smaller version of a post-industrial city that's dealing with um, a lot of challenges that come with that. But yeah, I was born in Rochester. Mm -hmm. And
1: do do you have brothers and sisters? I do.
0: I am right in the middle of five kids. So I have two older brothers and a younger brother and a younger sister.
1: Do you have any observations about your birth order? Do you think that influenced like who you are?
0: I just like think it's fascinating how different people are from their siblings, um, yeah. and how you know the same parents could have, let's say, five children and have them all be really different.
1: So you're d- you're different from your two brothers and sister.
0: Yeah, I think we're all pretty different, um, but I do feel like um, like they all my entire family still lives in Ithaca. Um, so after I grew up in Rochester, then I, my family moved to Ithaca.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, what were you going to say? Sorry. Um, one reason I wanted to talk to you is um, I saw that interview you did on CNN. And I got a million questions about that. I just uh, really I thought, he, 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 <laughs> I thought it was really a fun interview and a really uh, inspiring <laughs> kind of interview. Like, it's like you just look up. You're like, oh, my God, that's a really interesting person that is talking right now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was terrified. That entire interview is thanks to the, um, the Uber driver who, the, like, studio, the studio sent me an Uber driver because I, I did it. I, I had to go out to some suburb of Detroit in order to, to be in a studio.
1: Uh-huh. And they
0: had very little time, and I had, like, no time to prep. And so I went right after school. They, like, sent this Uber to pick me up. And the Uber driver's name was Mustafa, and he was so helpful because I was terrified. I was, like, shaking, and I was like, oh, Oh this is really important, and this is probably my only opportunity to, like, try and address something, and, like, there's so much to address, and how am I going to fix it? And (laughs) so I was like... I'm going to sit in the front seat, which I always do, but Uh (laughs) sometimes people don't like that. I was like, it's okay with you. I'm going to sit in the front seat, and if you don't mind, like, could I talk through some ideas I have about public education? (laughs) Oh,
1: my God. And
0: he was like, sure. And so he was super helpful, Um, and basically I just, like, rambled the entire ride, and he was like, well – Sometimes when you talk about, like, your students, like, your voice goes up, and you get really emotional and, like, breathy, and you should try to, like, keep your voice low and be calm. And I was like, okay, okay. And it was incredibly helpful, and he ended up giving me like, gum and water so that I'd be like ready for that because of course I'm like coming from school so I have nothing that I need and I'm like panicking and he was so helpful because if I had not talked to him I don't think I would have been able to be like coherent I think I would have just been like there's too much to say and it's too important and I would have just you know sort of said something that um, that wasn't pithy and maybe didn't hit on the main point but it's very it's very hard when you're talking about like uh, a sort of status quo issue where you're trying to, like, drill down into, like, what really, like, what is, in Detroit they always say, and maybe other places too, you know, like, you you have to keep the main thing the main thing. Like, there's so many different struggles and so many obstacles, and so you just, like, always have to keep in mind what is the main thing. And that's true in teaching, and that's true in, like, activism and all of those other things. Mm-hmm. But Mustafa was incredibly helpful in helping me figure out what is the main thing, like, what is the main purpose of you know, I probably have, like, two minutes, so if I have two minutes to talk about what what the main thing is, like, what am I going to cram in? <laughs> and so I am but, endlessly in debt to Mustafa. <laughs> wherever he is, I'm very grateful to him.
1: That's a great story. You know, maybe we should just all call Ubers when we need to sort things out, we need to, like, I mean, process.
0: Yes, I would recommend Lyft just because I hear Uber is like a slightly more malicious company, although I don't think either of them are really great. But but yeah, he was so nice. And, you know, sometimes people, like, I don't know what was going on with his day. And like, I'm not sure if he really wanted to talk to me, but he was like, he was very game and he was very helpful.
1: (laughs) Oh, my God. So you always sit in the front. How come you always sit in the front?
0: Well, I think like... It feels weird to get in the back because I don't know. Like if I'm sitting in the front, we could just be like friends who are going somewhere, you know? Um if I sit in the back some especially in Detroit, there are a lot of like different dynamics that are at play around like race and class and um I just feel like if we sit in unless someone like clearly doesn't want anyone in the front and they have like stuff in the front, like I think it's just more humanizing when we sit next to each other and we can like chat and it's just more relaxed. Whereas if you sit in the back I feel like um, it feels more like you're like paying for a service,
1: mm-hmm. which
0: you which you are, um, so it just feels like what it is. But there's like mm-hmm. more like lines of demarcation, like you can't see the person. So even if you're having a conversation, it's um more detached because you're not able like uh
1: um You are, um, I don't, I, I usually like to save these guesses for later, but, uh, you're very tuned in to people. Is that a, I mean, you're a teacher and you, you're kind of aware of this person. You're, you're, you're humanizing the relationship with your (laughs) Uber driver.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. I think that's like the, yeah, I would totally agree. And I do feel like when we do, um, like, when I'm involved in any kind of, like, organizing, I usually focus on, I'm all about the action. I, like, love direct action. I love, like, being strategic. But I also, like, spend a lot of time thinking about how people are feeling. Um, and I often feel like I'm very alone in prioritizing that, which is sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like don't, like. But I find it, it actually has a lot of results. So, like, as an example, um, the... Uh, Detroit had something for a number of years called the Education Achievement Authority, which was essentially a bunch of public schools that the state took over and gave to um, a corporation mm-hmm. that Um, had been kicked out of Kansas City essentially for, like, under their management, Kansas City K-12 schools lost accreditation, which I've heard of, like, liberal arts colleges losing accreditation. I've never heard of, like, a K-12 public school district (laughs) losing accreditation, but basically under the The careful tutelage of this man, John Covington, who we stole and he broke his contract with Kansas City schools after essentially dismantling them and came to Detroit to start the Education Achievement Authority. And um, (laughs) they utilized this like really horrible program called um, Buzz, which essentially like created a dynamic where the teacher in the classroom was actually just a facilitator of this computer program, (laughs) um, and not actually a teacher at all. And the entire thing is very scripted. I know, it makes you laugh because it's so dystopian and terrible. But this lasted for years in Detroit. And actually, students who entered the EAA, like, proficient according to a number of metrics, some which I don't believe in anyway, but but who entered it proficient, actually lost proficiency after being in the Education Achievement Authority.
1: Um, What was the name of this program again? What was the name of the it's program?
0: It's called Buzz.
1: Buzz. 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 Yes,
0: Buzz. and um, so there was um, an elementary school called Law, um, which had formerly been a public school and then became like this Education Achievement Authority School, the EAA. And um, so the teachers had to use this Buzz program, and the the program had actually been pioneered with prisoners, um, which you know a, a lot of education programs have been. In fact, most education opportunities in um, prisons for incarcerated people have been removed, but they used this program because it was really good, um, apparently, at, like, uh, like making sure that the prisoners were compliant, I guess. But it wasn't really for its educational merit, um, but, yeah, scary stuff. So this program was implemented at the school called Law, and um, the teachers there were super unhappy, like, just It was, like, a really toxic environment, and people were always, like, sort of telling on other people, and you didn't know who to trust, and, like, the administration was out to get you, and the school, like, arbitrarily had two principals, not, like, a principal and an assistant principal, but two full principals. So you can think about how confusing that would be in, a, like, a very authoritarian space <laughs> right, where there are right. two authorities. <laughs> um, so it was, like, a really toxic, awful environment, and the teachers were really downtrodden, and the students were really having a hard time, and they're using this, like, terrible program. Um, and um, one of the teachers was teaching, like, a fourth and fifth grade ELA class, and the students one day asked her, like, you know, this is an ELA class, like, why don't we ever read books or write? You know, all we do is this BUZZ program. And the teacher explained it to them. And she said, you know, we're part of this Education Achievement Authority, and there's this man, John Covington, and, you know, we're using this program, BUZZ. And the kids were really kind of upset about it. And so she was like, okay, well, for today, um, if you would like to read, I have some books hidden away in my classroom, which you can access today. And if you'd like to write, you can write. And if you'd like to do the Buzz program, you can do the Buzz program. And we'll just do that for today. And they were kind of like, OK. So um, you know, some of the students chose to do the Buzz program, and some of them chose to write, and some of them chose to read. And two, um, two of the students decided that they wanted to write a letter to John Covington to express their distaste for the Buzz program. So one of the administrators, I guess, walks by the classroom and saw there were students reading and writing and, you know, not everyone was on the computer and the teacher was interacting with the students in this, like, fluid way and um, was really upset and came in the classroom. And then the other administrator was going by and, and came in the classroom as well and, and both of these principals were, you know, yelling at the teacher and some of the students and berating her and threatening her job. Um, for not following the buzz program. And um, the two students who were writing the letter, um, who were both nine, um, stood up oh, and, and sort of said, like, hey, you know what? Actually, we we asked if we could, you know, read and write. Like, we it's not our teacher's fault. Like, we asked, and she's just doing what we asked. And the principal, you know, think about how courageous it is for a nine-year-old to say anything to an authority figure, but certainly, like, to try and defend their teacher from someone who's, like, very angry. (laughs) Um, And how confusing it must be for a kid to have two principals as well, much less the teacher. Um, And so the the principals both turned on the kids and, you know, shared information about their test scores and kind of berated them and said, you know, you two need to be more like this girl who has this score, who's doing the buzz program like she's supposed to. And then, you know, after, like, humiliating these two little girls in front of the entire class, um, both girls were suspended for five days. And, um, you know, that's kind of the uh, the environment that was going on at law. And um, it it is an example of, of sort of the environment in the education achievement schools as a whole. I mean, I have friends that taught in my high schools where they utilized pepper spray to clear the hallways. Um, you know where there were police there all the time, and um, it, students were treated very, very poorly. Um, there were all kinds of issues um, with you know not enough teachers and and just like really horrible practices that are that are not humanizing for students. So anyway, okay. at law we were trying. Yes, so we're trying to organize against. the Education Achievement Authority. I'm also trying to support teachers who were sort of trapped in this system where, you know, they didn't sign up to uh, abuse children um, (laughs) or to facilitate a computer program like they believe in the liberatory possibilities of education and and that their students deserve to have access to that. And so they were, um, you know, sort of trapped in this terrible situation. And so the problem solving was all like, okay, well, we need to have these actions and we need to reach out to these people and we need to leverage this power. And in the meantime, in the back of my mind, I'm like, very excited about those things, but I'm also thinking about like, how does it feel? How does it feel to be that student? Like, how does it feel to be that teacher? Like, how do you keep going in that situation? Like, it just seems like it's this terrible, like, vacuous, like, awful environment, and um, and people are being harmed. And so, sort of like piped up about being worried about people's feelings and everyone was like, oh, who cares about people's feelings? You know, like people are being denied their basic education. But eventually I convinced people that um, that it did really matter. And so one of the things that we did that wasn't intended to be like an organizing strategy necessarily, but was just meant to be humanizing was we um, we wrote to the teachers at law and we had other people who are also teachers who are maybe veteran educators also, write. So, like, I went to my school and I had my school secretary write to the school secretary at law, you know, and I had, like, the ELA teacher write to the ELA teacher and all of that stuff. And so um, we sent these letters to the teachers and, um, you know, a lot of the other things that we attempted to do weren't successful. um, And we, you know, weren't successful in, like, shutting down the Education Achievement Authority, although it was eventually shut down. But... Um, We talked to teachers, like, several months later, and they talked about the letters and about how, like, you know, one lady said that she had one letter, like, stuck right next to her bed, so when she woke up, she would see it, and another one stuck right by the door, so that when she walked out the door every morning, you know, she could, like, kind of gird her loins for battle, you know, and, like, feel like a person, Um, and how I just feel like the, like, the fact that human beings are incredibly emotional is, um, it's kind of absent from a lot of conversations. And, like, part of the reason why a lot of the social ills that people are working against are so catastrophic is because they leave, like, deep trauma. Um, and they really harm people in a lasting way that has this, like, rippling effect outward. So um, I think it was Frederick Douglass who said, you know, it's much easier to, like, raise, like, strong, healthy children than it is to fix like, broken adults. Um, I'm sure you said it much more beautifully than that. But, I mean, it's really, really true. And so that's, like, part of the motivation for wanting to be a teacher um, is to help people to, to connect with to their, their own humanity and value and worth um, and sort of build up that resilience.
1: Because, <laughs> I love it.
0: Because it's under assault. It's, it's always going to be under assault um, under the systems that we live in. That is like the most basic thing that I that I feel like is um, constantly under attack. It's like our <laughs> shared humanity. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I um, I hope you're okay. That when yeah. you go with the story, part of what I do, my my eight year old gets mad at me sometimes when I laugh because I just <laughs> oh. <laughs> I sometimes laugh at these wonderful, beautiful stories. And and there's so many different aspects of it. But you know, I'm in admiration and, and I'm, I'm taking it in. I'm appreciating. Right. Right. Yes, you know yes, that. I know, I know. Right. <clears throat> There's so many aspects of it. Like, and earlier when I left, it's like it's not just how crazy it is, the like the what's actually happening, but it's also mm-hmm. sort of interesting the way that you're describing because you know the way you frame the way you frame it. You know, it makes make the absurdity of it so apparent. And usually, what I do is I get more background, but you're so
0: <laughs> I'm sorry, so much. I just go off because no one asked, no one ever asked anyone who is who is actually experiencing it you know our experts are all completely detached from the things that they're talking about or many of them are and those are the people we go to for the narrative for the story of what's really happening you know uh-huh. much less like what we should do and it's very frustrating it um so I'm sorry, I really will. I will go off if you let me. So please interject this. But you see the thing too. is I,
1: I love it and I, I appreciate <laughs> it. And I, I, I want to ask the follow up some questions about that though, because then we'll 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 circle back and um get every little detail of what happened in your childhood. But um okay. <laughs> the story the initial story started with so you, they're in that school and this acti- this thing happens where the t- the two principals <laughs> sorry, oh frankly, my god so ridiculous. Where did you get your information about the details of what happened in the classroom on that day?
0: Yeah, so we actually reached out to the the teachers who were at law. So getting information is like a really difficult aspect of um, organizing in Detroit just because people are very isolated um, Mm -hmm. on a lot of different levels. So, you know, Detroit is the most segregated city in the United States, according to um, some maps that were made using the last census is data, so I guess this next census will hopefully shed some interesting light on that as well. But um, So it's a very segregated city, but in addition to that, um, there have been systems that have been employed to kind of isolate schools. So 150 schools were um, were closed over the last uh, like 10 years or so under the state um, takeover, and so a lot of schools were closed, and then there were a lot of charter schools that are sort of each individually their own district. And then there was a, the Education Achievement Authority, which sort of took control of all of those schools. And I was actually on, like, a public access television show, and someone called in to ask a question about a school that did not have running water, Central High School, which is an Education Achievement Authority school. And I didn't even know... that that school existed. Um, And no one on the panel did either. And we're like, where is Central? Like, what high school is that? And it's because it had been removed from the Detroit public school system and turned into um, this Education Achievement Authority school. And so we lost contact. Um, So we uh, got the story from the teacher who was involved um, because she was eventually fired. And so there were a lot of um, organizing efforts to try and get her reinstated. Um, So we heard it from the teacher. And then um, the aftermath. I actually didn't hear the story about um, the letters firsthand, um, but we hosted. Well, just back up a little bit. So I was part of an organization called Learn with Detroit. So we hosted like a like a an evening of like repose for the law teachers, and so they came to that. And I wasn't able to go, but. Um, my friend told me about, um, about people's like, reflections on the letters and how important they were to them afterwards. And I was so happy to hear it because I was sad that I missed the actual opportunity to interact in person.
1: Yeah. Which <laughs> is something I really liked. Did I understand it correctly that, that you, you were very involved in that letter writing? Yes. How come, what, what, what possessed you to want to write the letters? Like, how did you hear about it? Or, like, when did, when did you decide that you were going to take action?
0: Well, so we were at a Learn with Detroit meeting, and we were talking about what was going on at law, and we had some teachers there who taught in the EAA who were okay. sort of sharing what was happening, and we were trying to come up with, like, a, a large-scale strategy and also tactics. Mm-hmm. So when I was thinking about tactics, I was really distracted by thinking about, like, how absolutely soul-sucking it must be to teach and learn in that environment. And so I came up with the idea to write letters and then... I guess I, I mostly implemented it. So I went around and, and got people to write letters. So like I got the school secretary, like I said, to write to the other secretary, and I got teachers at my school to write. And some people wrote really short letters and some people wrote really long ones. But um, yeah, we got like a, a staff list and we, um, we made sure that everybody got like at least two letters. Oh, and we also had students write to the,
1: the teachers as well from other schools. So. so one of the things that I thought, that I felt... Really strongly, when I watch your interview in CNN, it's Mm -hmm. this like, why, why? (laughs) Like, um, so, why? Why? So, you're, um, you're, uh, so, you see something, and you feel that it's bad for the school, it's bad for the kids, and now Mm -hmm. you could, um, You're a busy person. We haven't gone over that, but I I know from just in setting up the logistics you're busy. But you decided Mm -hmm. to do this thing. Like, do you know like what why why? (laughs) Why did you do why do you do that? (laughs) Oh oh,
0: gosh, I don't know. I mean I think like uh that's a funny question. Um I mean why not? (laughs) I guess like I I feel like we um like if I if I can do something um then i feel like usually i should which sometimes backfires as you might imagine but um <laughs> but i think um i think that we we all have you know and this is something i try to impress upon my students too but we all have a lot of power um and i think that sort of the way that that the world is framed for us is that like you know we're just little people and and we have no power and and our lives are controlled by forces that we you know maybe can't see or don't understand and we're just supposed to accept it but I just like haven't found that to be true in my own life, and I feel like you know I've had casual interactions with strangers that have like meaningfully changed my life trajectory, and I've also had you know the careful uh, care of of longtime friends that that have done something similar as well, and I think that. You know, we have a lot of power, Um, and I mean, especially as a teacher, you know, people are like, oh, like the reaction I get so often when I tell people that I teach fifth grade is like, oh, that's so cute, you know, and it's like, there's nothing cute about it. (laughs) Kids are cute sometimes, but this is like serious work, like this is, this is like a job that requires all of my like fortitude and humility and, you know, um, just all of my mental strength just to to work out you know the basic everyday problems of teaching fifth grade and trying to do it in a in a way that's humanizing and positive for my students and you know I mean it it doesn't really like there is a steep learning curve it doesn't really get easier as far as I can tell I mean I'm eight years in and I still feel very challenged by my job um, and I do think it's really serious, but people are always like, "Oh, that's so cute," um, and that makes me sad because it's not cute. It's really, it's really important, I think. Um, but yeah, okay. Why do I
1: do things? Um, yeah, well, is there, there's something about a feeling. What, what, tell me the feeling you get. So uh, you're at Learn Detroit, I think you call it, whatever, and you're hearing about the, what's happening at law, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, what is the initial like? Is it is there is there anger? Is there like what is that? What is that moment like?
0: There's definitely anger. There's always a lot of anger. I, like, I think it's interesting because I'm, like, a generally, like, I've worked hard to cultivate the parts of myself that um, are optimistic and um, that are pleasant. Um, but I think that, like, there's, a like, an undercurrent <laughs> running through all of that that is very, very angry. Um, I mean, you know, they say, like, if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. And I think that's really true um, mostly because, like, you, you went to the, like, why, and it's like, oh, the reason why we're in, even in this position, why we even have to, like, ask questions about, you know, like, why would you uh, act humanely towards other people? Or, like, why would you use your power to, like, um, try and improve something for someone? And, you know, it's sort of insane that we even have to have those questions because we live in a system that encourages people to um, be really, like, Stuff involved and to be – to kind of put up blinders, right? And in the United States, you have to do that, you know? Like if you put on clothes and you spend any time thinking about where your clothes come from, unless you're making your clothes, which I think it's safe to say the majority of people aren't, um, or, you know, who (laughs) – Who made the textiles that your clothes are made out of and what conditions they worked under and, and, you know, what processes were required in order to get your clothes to you and, you know, how many fossil fuels were used to, like, move these various things around the globe and and the consumerism inherent in in everything that we do. I mean, it would be difficult to even move. So, like, there's an aspect of of having those blinders up that's that's necessary, I think, just to keep moving. Um, But it's really encouraged in a very – unhealthy way I think where we stopped seeing each other as people right so instead of being like oh like I'm walking down the street and, and there's other people walking down the street and they are of equal worth and value to me and their struggles are just as significant and in fact in order to be able to access my own humanity I do kind of have to care about what's going on with theirs. Um, we're encouraged not to not to feel or think that way um, and I think it harms us.
1: <laughs> yeah, How unique do you think you are that uh, that 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 idea is so clear to you. That to access your own humanity, you have to kind of feel others and um, kind of involve yourself in their struggles. <laughs> like how? Where did that? I guess it's one one question is how unique is that, and where did it come from?
0: Okay, I don't <laughs> think it's that unique, and and um, where it came from is actually. So I think I have to tell you a little bit about about me. Is that okay?
1: Yeah, that's usually what I do when okay. like I get all that stuff out of the way. Okay,
0: okay. <laughs> so, so great, you got this. So, um, because there's an answer. There's a like very clear answer. I've been rambling a little bit. This is actually quite clear. So, um, as you know, I grew up uh, in the middle of five children, and I think that it is um, safe to say that my, like, home life was pretty tumultuous. Um, I don't have a lot of practice talking about this publicly, so I'm just going to try it out. But, um, yeah, so I came from, uh, like, a home where there wasn't really very much structure and where there wasn't a lot of, like, parental involvement. And the parental involvement that I did experience was sometimes negative. And so when I went to school my first day of kindergarten, um, I was, like, super terrified and um, very confused. And, um, you know, we kind of went through my day, like, in a state of concern, <laughs> um, as people do when they're in a situation that's unfamiliar. And so um, there was, like, a period of time where we all kind of relaxed, and I was, like, playing with a block or something. And um, there were other kids playing around me. Gosh, when kindergarten, you, know, you get to play in school. Um, and um, there was a kid who had something that I wanted to play with, and he wouldn't give it to me. And so I hit him. I hit him in the face. And I took the toy that he was playing with and the teacher um, took me out in the hallway and, you know, I was prepared for her to be really angry with me or yell at me or hit me or, you know, any number of things because I knew I'd done something wrong and I wasn't really sure what it was, but I could tell that like I had done something wrong and she didn't do any of those things and thankfully she had an aide in the classroom too it's hard for me not to think about this story as like someone who right, uh, right. spends a lot of time analyzing our current paradigm in education but anyway <laughs> i'll try to keep that narrative to the side because it's not the most important part but it does matter like if she if she hadn't had an aide in the classroom she wouldn't have been able to change my life forever so anyway took <laughs> me out in the classroom. And um, and kind of very gently and kindly explained to me that we don't hit people, and that it's, it's not even if they have something that you want or they do something you don't like, um, you you're not you're not allowed to hit them. And in school, we don't we don't hit people. Um, and she wasn't mean about it. She seemed to understand that I didn't know that, and that you know where I was coming from. Like um, it was perfectly acceptable. Uh, like a, it was a way to communicate. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she she didn't tell me that I was bad. Um, but she she also went on to explain that like in particular, like I shouldn't hit um my classmate, um, because he couldn't speak and um and so in particular we want to like look out for him and make sure that like because he has an even harder time communicating, that he's like, you know, being taken care of and I was like, Oh, yeah, that makes you know, that makes perfect sense. Um and so like our class actually ended up learning sign language and um and, uh, you know, uh, he became a friend of mine, and um, we're Facebook friends now, and he's actually a teacher as well. Um, oh but, yeah, but so I, it totally, before I had that conversation, I hadn't felt, like, particularly humanized by anybody else. And so I wasn't really in a position to, like, recognize other people's humanity. And so I was, like, a kind of an angry, mean kid <laughs> who thought it was okay to hit people, um, and so I feel like my experiences in school were really transformative. Um, and they really had very little to do with what I learned. It was all about, like, being developed as, like, a social and emotional being um, in a way that was not happening for me at home. I mean, my family called me the hermit because I spent all my time by myself, um, like, reading. And, I, honestly, I was just kind of... Um, avoiding them and avoiding, uh, like, a life that I found really painful and and untenable for a lot of reasons. And um, I had a really hard time at home. And so, like, my favorite spot at home was this, like, secret place in between the furnace and the wall in the basement. And nobody knew I was down there, and I would take a flashlight down there, and I would spend hours down there reading. So I just had no – before I went to school, I really had, like – very few interactions with people that were positive. And so, uh, you know, I feel like my public education was the place where I was first, like, introduced to my own humanity. And I think that that is, like, such a wonderful gift. (laughs) And, um, you know, it's part of why I want to be a teacher. And um, I just, like, always think back on that experience, especially now with, like, zero tolerance and thinking about, like, what would happen in the city of Detroit if I went to school and I punched someone on the first day, you know, and how I would just be automatically suspended and I I would be treated like I was bad. And, you know, even how that would be compounded if I was black instead of white or, um, you know, any, any number of other things um, that we can apply to that situation. And so, I just, I, I'm i really lucky because I was able to access an education that maybe wasn't intended for somebody of my, like, class or my background um, because I happened to be, like, someone who was, like, um, you know, uh, lower middle class or even poor in a wealthy area instead of someone who was, like, poor in a poor area. Um, and so, you know, I, I also think a lot about um, this interview that I heard on NPR with um, – I think it was Norway, but people were really upset at Norway a couple of years ago because they found out about their
1: prison system
0: and they they were yes. super mad because they were treating these prisoners like people and how can they do that? <laughs> and so like um, yes. the administrative head of like their corrections or whatever for the country um, was on NPR and he was kind of upset and he was like, I just don't get what the big deal is. Like it's, we have people who have done horrible things, but if we treat them like monsters, then they will continue to act in monstrous ways. And, and the goal is to not have that happen anymore. You know, we, the goal is to, is to change people and to even believe that you can change people. I think it's like something that a lot of Americans seem to lack. But the idea that like people behave the way that you treat them. Um, And and I think people are uncomfortable with that um, philosophy because it sort of puts it on you, you know, and obviously there are exceptions to this. but, But if my teacher, my kindergarten teacher, had just sort of written me off that first day and said, oh, like this is a problem child and I don't want to deal with her and I don't have time for this or even, you know, a lot of times it's not. It's not that cut and dried. Like the teacher, maybe feels like they have less agency and they're overwhelmed. And in today's kindergarten, there'd be 35 kids, Mm -hmm. you know, and and no aid. And so this whole thing wouldn't have happened, and my life would have been really different. And so um, the fact that like she responded to my violence, honestly, unforgivable violence, I would say, against someone who like deserved to be protected, especially. Not that any kid deserves to be punched in the face, but he especially deserved to be treated with respect and care, Um, but to turn that around and just be so gentle um, and to kind of model what it looks like to be gentle, um, like, yeah, it changed my life. And so I think that um, when I think about, like, there are a lot of other experiences that kind of built on that. So part of being a teacher is, like, accepting the fact that you're just, like, you're planting seeds or you're, like, you're putting compost rims you know, a, a little sprout that somebody else planted a while ago and you're just trying to like, you're trying to guide and help and support what's there, um, and, and what's growing and what's possible. But like, you can't, um, you have no way really of knowing like how, how things will go. Maybe in high school you have more of a picture, but, um, it's really just about like trying to like facilitate and foster, um, what you can see, what you can pull out and, um, and And what people are willing to show you and um, even sometimes like what you imagine might be there without any evidence. And so we're all a product of that. And so, like, you know, in high school, I I was homeless with my mom for a while and we like lived out of her van. And um, we uh, would go sometimes to this place called Loaves and Fishes, which you might know it's in Ithaca, but it's like a place where they, they feed people and you have the option also of, of working you know you could like there are people who come who are who are not homeless um you know college professors and students and just people from the community who have homes but who go there and they they serve the food and then they also eat um with the people who are eating there and so for me it was much more comfortable to volunteer and then eat with people than to you know just go and eat um which i think is probably true for everybody and so that's kind of how i got into volunteering And then um, volunteering, you know, I only went to 280 days of high school total over four years. Um, I don't know how I graduated. I feel like it's probably not legit. I don't want to talk about it too much because maybe we'll take it away. (laughs) But, (laughs) but, you know, at that point, all three of my siblings had already dropped out of school um, or the three closest to me. So I think they just really wanted someone in my family to graduate from high school. But, um, you know, I, I... went to summer school every year. I was a terrible student. I was almost never in class, never in school. and But I actually, I participated in a lot of clubs. I loved clubs. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I don't know how that was allowed. But I would actually skip the entire school day and then come after school to do, like, you know, Amnesty International or be in <laughs> a play or do backstage tour or something like that. So I don't know. But um, so, you know, I also was um, very depressed in high school and I, you know contemplated suicide a lot and um, and just really struggled and um, a lot of what made me feel hopeless was just the sense that like the world was terrible, and there wasn't a way to fix it, and that you know the people who worked the hardest were the ones who had the least to show for it and that everything was just kind of you know when you're really depressed, like um, what's possible gets narrower and narrower and narrower until the only things that are possible are really bad. <laughs> Um, and, um, so I never thought I would graduate. And when I graduated, I I didn't know what to do. I honestly didn't think that I would like live that long. Um, and so I was sitting around in the library, probably skipping class. Um, and my friend Amber came up to me and was like, so what are you doing after, after high school? And I was like, I have no idea. And she sat me down and, and pulled up the AmeriCorps website and started me applying for AmeriCorps programs. Um, because she was going to do AmeriCorps and she thought it was cool. This is another high school student, you know, like this is my peer. um, And, you know, she took like uh, five minutes to just be like, here, just fill this out, you know. And again, like here's another moment that like dramatically changed my life. So I ended up doing um, a program called City Year where they, they, it's 18 to 24 year olds. And um, half of the people in the program are from the communities in which um, the program operates. And the other half are from like all over the country. And so I was in Brooklyn and, um, I was placed in a public school in Brooklyn. And so we would like run after school programs and do like, um, tutoring and work in classrooms and all kinds of different stuff and, um, totally, um, changed my life. Like, uh, you know, I, I already thought that service was really cool and, um, And I had this uh, family, my friend Anna's family kind of like took me in in middle school and they would feed me and and take me places and sometimes I would celebrate like Christmas with them which was um, funny because they were Jewish but we would like decorate uh, like a house plant um, and (laughs) they were were really the greatest people but um, they were really involved in service too. They would do a lot of volunteer work and so I learned about volunteering from them as well and um, so uh, City Year is all about you know, doing different service and forget how many thousand hours of service it is, but it's considerable that you do over the course of a year. And um, so I was working in a public school in Brooklyn and I was seeing that, like, I had had this, like, incredible gem of an education, which to be perfectly honest, I mostly squandered. Um, and, you know, the students that I was working with were just as deserving of something wonderful, but they weren't accessing it. And, um it seemed pretty apparent that that was because my students, you know, had by a twist of fate been born in East New York, Brooklyn, and um, there weren't enough people who, you know, make decisions about monetary allocations of budgets and things like that. that cared about kids who live in East New York, Brooklyn. And so because of that, they did not have an education that looked anything like mine. You know, there wasn't like a kindergarten teacher... (sighs) treating them like a person necessarily. And, um, you know, there weren't small classes and there weren't aides and, um, there were teachers doing amazing things, um, like really extraordinary teachers. Um, but they looked really different than the teachers that I'd experienced. And some of them seemed really mean and I couldn't figure out why the kids loved them so much. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think it's because they had high expectations for them and, and they, um, they expected them to do great things, and they were kind of uncompromising in their expectation that they would do great things. So um, that was really motivating. And in this program, um, if you hadn't been to, uh, if you hadn't graduated from high school yet, they would um, enroll you in a GED program and sort of support you through that. And if you hadn't been to college, then they would um, set you up with a college counselor. So I had no idea how to apply to college. I didn't know anything about it. And so I got set up with this nice lady named Jan who helped me find colleges that had service scholarships and so I ended up going to a college in Vermont that had a service scholarship and um, and while I was in city year, one of the things that they they have like a really strong sort of like culture um, which is really interesting and it's like very intentional so there's a lot of like stories around it and um, mm-hmm. And kind of, like, important symbols and things like that. And they're very clear about it. They're like, this is why we have this. <laughs> this is why we tell this story. <laughs> um, and <laughs> and one of them, uh, one of the, like, sort of underpinning philosophies that uh, Citi or adopted, or perhaps in this, this age we might say culturally appropriated, I don't know, and I'm slightly uncomfortable about it now, but um, is um, the sort of philosophy of Ubuntu, which is like, have you heard of this? It's like say a longer... It's called Ubuntu, but it's part of a longer like Zulu phrase that I don't know or I won't butcher. But um, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: basically the concept comes out of um, South Africa and Desmond Tutu um, did a lot to kind of like spread it around the globe. But the idea in this community of people is that. Um, People are only people because of their proximity to other people. So um, if one person in in a society is being denied their basic human dignity, then none of the other people in that society will ever experience their humanity fully until... Um, they kind of rectify the situation with that person. Um, Or, you know, maybe it's not one person, maybe it's a whole group of people, and you can kind of imagine how that plays out. The idea is that, like, in order to really experience our humanity fully, we need to sort of take care of each other and make sure everyone has the same opportunity. And that, like, super resonated with me. And this program um, did something really important, which was that it kind of gave me um, hope uh, and sort of expanded what i thought was possible
1: so um like as an I, example yeah go ahead you seem to take cr- the 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 garbage and crap of the world and turn it into something beautiful like what made you what why how were you able to do that how are you able to like why did you see those things what about you made you go that way you know Why?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a very nice thing to say, first of all. Mm. So thank you. Um, But also, like, I actually wonder about this, too. Um, Brothers are, um, they have had a much harder time metabolizing um, many of the kind of painful things that happened to them. And my little sister was actually, like, a, a ward of the state for a while and went through a lot of foster homes and, Everybody's had a very, very tough time, and I don't like i I think about this a lot, actually, because I feel like it's entirely luck. <laughs> like I feel like I happen to I don't know i I really like to read, and so I was like kind of a like a nerd, and I spent a lot of time just like escaping. We didn't have a TV, so I would hide places and just like daydream about stuff for hours um and so I spent a lot of time by myself whereas like my brothers were very social and they you know hung out with people and um and so were like I think exposed to to things that I wasn't exposed to because I was hiding from people and so you know I think that it was like a lot of luck that I happen to find people who are different than the people that my brothers found, not to say that the people that my brothers found were bad um, because they don't think they are bad, but they just like, I think also maybe oftentimes this is like used against women, but I feel like women at least are, um, are expected to be like emotional creatures. Um, And so we find spaces with other women where we can process things in a way that's maybe more healthy um, I have no, like, research behind that. It's just my impression. And so I don't, like, I don't know. But, you know, I mentioned that family, um, my friend Anna's family. Um, just, like, being able to be kind of a part of other people. Like, I was always, like, looking for people's families to be a mm-hmm. part of. Um, and being able to see the way that they sort of interacted with the, each other and, and kind of, like, the expectations that their parents had for them and the fact that, like, there's something about... Um, like the things that are that are not explicitly stated um, and the things that are, so like just the expectation that like, you know, your child will go to college and that just being sort of a given, not something that you have to explain or something that, that's um, like a tremendous gift that more affluent people can give to their kids, like mm-hmm. their expectations. And I think that, um, that being exposed to other people's expectations for their kids um, was really meaningful. But also like, there are like explicit examples as well. Like um, when I was fourteen, uh, I got in some trouble for driving a car that did not launch me, <laughs> um, and <laughs> which was a, a practice that I had the first time this happened. And um, and I actually got in a car accident. I was actually hit by a drunk driver, um, <laughs> but um, so the police showed up, and you know, I'm there with my teenage friend, and who is Dutch, but I said she was my sister because she had parents who were paying attention and would be upset. Um, and so I said she was my sister, Sarah. Um, and she has like a Dutch accent, so it was not very believable. And then mm-hmm. you know, we were in this like car, and we had taken license plates off another car. I'm probably incriminating myself here but it's a pass, and put them on this car, because this car didn't have any license plates, and so they ran the plates, and it was an entirely different car, and then on the other hand, they had this, like, drunk driver, Um, so (laughs) I, like, uh, left this situation, I actually left the state, and I went to Anna's house, because she had moved to Pennsylvania, and I didn't even think anything of it, this is how, like, detached from reality I was, so I'm burbling away to her mom about this crazy experience I'd had the night before, and she didn't say anything, but she was obviously really perturbed, and so, you know, she told her husband about it, and so we went for a walk, and uh, his name's Bill, who's great, and he kind of was like, you know, that's really stupid. Like, that's, a, that's not a normal thing to do. Like, and he was just, like, very, like, matter of fact and kind of like, just like, why, why would you do that? You know? And expressing that he had different expectations, and I was like, oh, yeah, no... You know, when you put it like that, you're like, yeah, that is really stupid. But when you're in a space where, like, your reality is different and the expectations are different and no one's really thinking or reflecting on what they're doing or why, um, then it's really easy to go down the path without um, sort of considering whether what you're doing exists, you know, in, in something larger. You're just sort of reacting to things. And so I feel like there have been a lot of times in my life where I was really lucky where someone sort of, like, made an interjection or or uh, reflected back to me what I was doing was kind of like, you know, that's not actually normal or <laughs> that's, like, not a, not actually okay and did so in a way that wasn't, like, you're bad, but right. just was like, oh, I kind of expected something different from you. Um, and,
1: and you could yeah. hear it. Something about <laughs> you was able to hear it. Because a lot of people, they're going down the wrong track, and they're so noisy in their head they can't hear anyone telling them any different. but. Mm. You weren't like that.
0: I guess so. Yeah, I don't know. But I do like, I mean, all of my my siblings are all very intelligent people, and they're like funny, and they have a brain analysis, and like they're not, I just, it is strange to me that we've had such like divergent paths. Um, because like, well, uh, but I guess they're not totally, like my brother Ed uh, is amazing. He lives in Ithaca, and he ended up, getting his GED and he actually ended up going to Cornell and he graduated from Cornell and like in like molecular biology or something insane oh my god um yeah yeah he's super brilliant
1: adversity it can add this um amazing depth to your life but it's almost terrible to say that you know because mm-hmm. it's so some adversity is so bad and I would choose to get my wisdom through less painful routes, you know. But I guess if you if you come out on the other end, I guess that's the... I don't know.
0: That's true, but also I think that, like, there is something about, like, the agency involved with being able to say, like, something bad happened to me or several things happened to me that were bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, like... <laughs> It like, it's really like a weird thing that I haven't been able to navigate yet because like, I can't afford therapy, but maybe one day.
1: But, um, but, <laughs> Don't they have benefits? Don't teachers get oh my benefits? my
0: they do. But uh, yeah, I've been waiting for like two years through my health insurance to try and get... Anyway, that's a whole other, that's another story. But, okay. um, but I do think that there's like... There's like an important kind of like evolution that happens in relation to trauma, I think, um, where it's like... This is just my own analysis. I don't know if this is backed by anything else. Mm-hmm. And like, we're very like colored by our own experiences. So I think a lot of the time I assume that everyone sort of has sort of similar experiences, and then they don't, and I'm just like very surprised. Um, mm-hmm. But that's a wonderful thing about human beings. But my impression is that like, you know, when you're moving through life as someone who's like experienced like trauma, especially like childhood trauma. Um, there's a period of time that you go through and it could be short or it could last your entire life where you can't look at it clearly because it's like so awful and, uh, and tremendous and painful and dark. And there's just this like cavernous black hole inside you that you just have to like ignore in order to survive um, because you can't comprehend it all the way, or um, you don't have a way to like break it down. And so um A lot of people, I think, like never get to a place beyond that where it's like, okay, like I'm compartmentalizing my pain and suffering. And a lot of times I think your life is actually determined by the things that happen to you because you spend so much time avoiding like actually looking at it. And Mm -hmm. so you just kind of tamp it down and you're like, somehow this is my fault. Like there's something wrong and bad about me and that's why I've had these experiences. And so I just like, I just have to hide from it. Um, but sometimes, like, if you have the opportunity, you can, like, move through that feeling to a place where you're, like, oh, like, bad things happen to me, but that doesn't mean that I'm bad. It just, it just means that bad things happen to me, and and those things aren't my fault, you know, and, um, and I am, like, a survivor of those things. Um, and that can be, like, really freeing and, like, a really wonderful feeling, um, to finally be, like, oh, my gosh, like, this isn't my fault, um, but it can also, like, if you get stuck in that stage, I think you, it can kind of, like, rob you of your agency a little bit in that, like, it's very easy then to sort of start feeling like nothing is your fault and, um, and like, you don't really have responsibility for anything and you have this terrible experience and no one can really expect anything of you. And um, and it can be, like, a really bad Place. And I think if you stay in that place, like, it's very easy to harm other people. And if you stay in the first place, it's really easy to harm other people um, and kind of, to, like, act out what's happened to you. And so, like, the, the next stage, as far as I can tell, is, like, where you you recognize that the things that happen to you aren't your fault. Um, and you still have a responsibility to heal yourself so you don't hurt anybody else. And, like, it's, it's a way of, like, returning agency, kind of. And it's a way of, of saying, like yeah, bad things happen to me, but I'm actually not, I can't like wish them away because part of who I am is because of the experiences I've had. And so like, um, you know, it's, it's like a weird place to be in because like, obviously not like, uh, like, I don't know. I don't know if I have like the vocabulary to really describe it, but you're not like happy that something bad happened to you. You're not like, Um, grateful for like trauma or anything, but you can't, um, you can't separate it from who you are really. So it's kind of like, okay, like these things happened and, um, and it's not my fault. And maybe it's not fair that I have to deal with this and and somebody else doesn't, but I still have a responsibility to own it and to like name it and to, um, to take responsibility for it, even though like I didn't have a choice um, so that I don't continue it kind of um and continuing it doesn't necessarily mean like doing the same thing to someone else but even just like harming someone else because you've been harmed in a different way you know like being
1: Mm -hmm. closed off or yeah anyway um
0: i hope that connects somehow but i'm not sure if it does
1: (laughs) i uh no it was um it was just really beautiful and i'm a lucky person to be able to hear you tell that story
0: thank you when I was in New York when I was 18 I was like man I should go to therapy I've got a lot of crap to work out most places um you can go to your first therapy appointment for free um because like you have to see if you like likes the therapist or not and so I like tried to think about like that you know that you have an hour usually so I tried to think about all the things that I definitely needed to talk about within that hour and um I researched feminist therapists and I found this really fancy lady who was like two hundred dollars an hour or something Mm -hmm. and um I like went and I just like told her the worst things about my life and um You know, kind of was like, what should I do? You know, and at the time I was really preoccupied with the idea of like reconciliation and and the idea that I had some sort of responsibility to like fix my family somehow. Mm -hmm. And she was so helpful. She was just kind of like, oh, well, you know, in my experience, like you can obviously try to do that. But in my experience, like it doesn't work. Because people who are able to do, like, horrible things to their children, like, usually aren't able to, like, hear the ways that they've impacted other people. And they usually aren't, they don't have, like, the tools at their disposal to be able to, like, change or, like, do anything that's really going to make you feel better. Um, and it was tremendously freeing to have someone tell me that. You know, and it was one free therapy session. And, again, I'm forever in her debt. But, like, I, um, and then I never saw her again. But, um <laughs> But I feel very grateful for her because that, like, again, was like an opportunity to be like, oh, I don't have to spend my life trying to, like, fix somebody else's problem. Or I don't have to take responsibility for, you know, what other people have done to me. Like, I have to take responsibility for myself, but I don't I don't have to, like, fix those people. Or I don't have to hold them to account either. Like, that's kind of a heavy burden to take on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, so, yeah.
1: Um, I, I just... I was curious where you saw yourself on that path because you, you were – was that –
0: Yeah. Well, I think – I mean, I'm trying to be on the third part where you're, <laughs> where you're like, okay. Like, because I did – I spent a lot of years, especially when you're a kid, you're just like, oh, like, these things are happening and I know that they're wrong. And, and, I, and you just absorb all the wrongness, you know, and you're just like, yeah. oh, this is just like I am wrong. Like, I am bad. Um, and, uh, like, I know this isn't happening to other people, so it must be happening to me for a reason, and it must be because I'm just, like, an inherently bad person, um, and so, like, moving through that is really tough, um, but when you do get to a place where you're like, oh, that's not my fault, you know, like, I'm not bad, (laughs) um, I'm just like anybody else, except, you know, I had bad things happen to me, um, there's, like, a, I don't know, I, I feel like, once I was in sort of the second stage, I, I still didn't really understand, like, human relationships very well, (laughs) and I think that, like, I behaved in ways that, like, were very, like, selfish or sort of, like, really immature, um, like, um, like, I would, like, very embarrassing but like I would like pout you know or like I didn't know how to like manage my life at all I'm not describing this well but I was like you know uh in some senses I I would seem like very competent I think to people and I would like get things done and I was like doing organizing and all this other stuff but um, in other senses like I I was like super sort of like fragile and rigid in a lot of ways and it was like really hard for me to like I don't know like interact with people and like deal with like slights or betrayal like my reaction to things when they weren't going well was always like oh I'll just leave, I'll just leave the state or <laughs> I was just like, mm-hmm. I'll just drop this and never do this again or you know I just like immediately would like give up Like I I was like um, yeah I'm sure that was really hard for the people who were around me um, and again there, there were a lot of instances where people were sort of incredulous and that incredulity was really helpful in like getting me to <laughs> move to the next stage where right? I was like oh I am responsible for myself. Like, I, I can't just, like, flail about in the dark and be like, well, it's not my fault because I had, like, a pretty terrible childhood, you know. Um, Like, I, I have to be like, oh, well, lots of people have had terrible childhoods and they still, you know, manage to conduct themselves in, like, an adult manner. Although
1: um, um, lots of people don't have terrible childhoods and still go through a learning process where where they're doing dopey things and mm-hmm. um, and all kinds of immature behavior for no reason except for the fact that we're all growing, we're all on our own journey is mm-hmm. it, Is it possible that both those things happen, like you're dealing with your past and you're just going on your own journey, even if that bad stuff wouldn't uh happen?
0: That's an interesting question. I mean, I imagine so because I feel like uh when I talk to other people, you know it does seem like that that maybe that is like a trajectory that exists for for everyone. And maybe it's less about like dealing with trauma necessarily, but just more about like figuring out your own, like worth on the one hand and figuring out your responsibilities on the other and kind of figuring out how you relate to other people. And I think, you know, we have, um, we have kind of a tough time because we don't have a lot of like very clear instructions about how to interact with one another. Like we have like the nuclear family unit or whatever, you have your extended family and like Mm -hmm. people have their friends. Um, But I think like we, and there are exceptions to this, but like, I think that for a lot of Americans, there's not like a real clear understanding of like community. And there's not like a real sense that like, you know, people outside of your like immediate family care about you or like care if you exist or thrive or any of those things. And so that's one of the things that's like appealing to me about um, working in education is I feel like even if I'm the only person who feels like, I feel like I'm like part of a community of people who have collectively decided that we care about everyone's children, not just our own, you know, not just the ones that we know, but like, but everyone. And that we think that like, that it's important that they feel that and that they exist in spaces that like reiterate that they are valuable and important and, you know, worthy of, of being able to flail around. I mean, you're right. Like the fact of the matter is that most of us, I think learn by making mistakes or at least I do. um, And I think that like, we have no, in the same way that, you know, I was talking earlier about how people like, often don't acknowledge that, like, human beings are very emotional and that, like, we should take care of our emotions while we're doing all the other things that we're doing. I think people don't recognize that, like, this is how we learn. We learn by making mistakes and school should be a place where, uh, you can make mistakes and it's, it's, you're expected to make mistakes and it's sort of, like, safe to make mistakes and there are people who will guide you through kind of reflecting on those and figuring out how to do something different, um, but instead, we've made school this, like, very unforgiving place where there are these zero-tolerance policies where if you make a mistake, um, you know, there, there's no path forward. Um, and it's really horrifying, you know to, know, to know on an intuitive level that this is how we all learn. Like, every single person out there, at least at one point or another, has, like, made a catastrophic mistake or even several small mistakes where they've, like, hurt another person or they've hurt themselves or they've disappointed somebody or you know maybe they were just like did something embarrassing but like this is something we all share this understanding of how we learn well we just like pretend that we don't know that when it comes to um you know designing education for children
1: (laughs) there's a lot of difficulties you've talked about yeah Uh, do you feel that you've gotten to the other side of that like is that is that behind you
0: Uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm wrong in thinking that like therapy is really important, but I feel like there are a lot of things that I just like don't know how to deal with. And that I feel like, I feel like I'm definitely on the journey though. And I feel that way in particular because like there have been a lot of moments where I was like, I figured it out. I'm on the other (laughs) side. And I was never right. I was never right. And there was always like, you know, another iteration or another thing to learn or, and so like, I mean at this point like I I feel like I maybe for the first time in, am in a place where it's like I can see sort of what I've learned and I can also see like possible trajectories and so I have a sense that I have figured some things out but I also have a sense that those things will probably like shift and change and their like significance will shift and change and so I feel more like I'm comfortable with the fact that there isn't going to probably be a moment when I figured it out and that like different situations um, like bring out things that you wouldn't expect. So um, I mean, teaching is like really fascinating because it's those different and, you know, kids always have different challenges or different talents and, um, and different scenarios and, you know, even your relationships to your colleagues or to the school or to the state um, or policies or whatever, everything's always in flux and always changing. And so, I'm feeling like, I feel like I'm constantly like learning about myself um, and honestly like learning about my like trauma and ability to deal with it through all of that change. And so, um, which is like one of the things that like, I am so grateful for my students um, because I feel like uh, they hand me my humanity every day in a way. Like they like, like, by being little people who have all kinds of different challenges and talents and, and things that they're interested in and, and by being unpredictable, like, they – I don't know. I mean, they make me feel like life is worth living, so that's kind of a big thing to be grateful for. But also, like, I think that um, that I, I wouldn't know how to, like um, – like grow on my own in these ways, and the ways that they've kind of given me the opportunity to grow in um and I think that this is like um like a, something I think about just in terms of like you know like the non profit industrial complex and like uh, <laughs> like the way that like white people participate in like struggles of liberation and things like that, and that like uh, it seems like um. Like, there's this incorrect narrative, as usual, where it's like, oh, like, you know, you're, like, either it's so cute that you're, like, a teacher or, like, oh, it's so nice of you to, like, you know, be paid pennies and, and, like, do this thing, (laughs) this altruistic thing. And it's like, I, like, wanted to die for most of my life, you know? And becoming a teacher was something that, like, that, like, saved me in a lot of ways. And, that is not, like, altruism. Like, that is, like, that is, like, a tremendous gift that I'm, like, given every day. And there are certainly challenges, and there are days where I, <laughs> I feel farther away from this fact. But, mm-hmm. I mean, it's true. Like, I feel like um, it's important for us to recognize the way that, like, um, the struggles we engage in, like, also, like, save us. And some of the ways that that's, like, problematic, like, I don't have very clearly formed thoughts about this, but, like, the idea that, you know, uh, like, one of the problems with, like, organizations is that they require there to be a problem in order to exist, right? And so, like, a lot of people will claim to be, like, working themselves out of a job, but I don't think anyone is actually, like, psychologically capable of doing that. Like, I think on some level... Um, we have a, like a pretty clear and deep understanding of, like, for instance, like where our money comes from and what's required in order for us to get that so that we can be secure and so that we can eat and live and have the life that we want. And so um, I think whether we intend to or not, um, if we have like a secure place where we're getting our money from, we will like work to maintain whatever we need to maintain in order to do that. And so I think that like, there are a lot of people working in nonprofits who just like checks. They just, like, can't seem to find the solution, you know, and it's the same thing with, like, education and even my participation in education, you know, I try to not do this and to, like, think really critically about it, but I do think that there's, like, a lot of people who are making a lot of money off of education, and I touched on this in the in the interview that you saw, but, like... Mm-hmm. um. There's, there are a lot of reasons why we're, like, not finding the very, very obvious solutions in front of us. Um, and, and part of it is because, like, there are a number of people who are benefiting from the way things are. And if you have, like, an untenable status quo and you can't figure out why it won't change um, and it's totally unbearable, I mean, you just have to look and see, like, who is benefiting from it. Um, and that's usually going to be the answer to why it doesn't change. Um so I'm kind of rambling here but I feel like um I feel like things are very complicated and it's important to to like think critically about the things that make you feel good as well as the things that make you feel bad um because not because like you I don't ever feel like I'm motivated by like guilt or like a negative emotion I just feel like it's important to um to examine things and um to try and get, like, a clear picture. And the picture always changes and your perspective shifts. But, like, I do think it's important to try and live in such a way that you're, like, I don't know, that you are, like, being truthful on some level, which I know is maybe controversial because, like, what is truth? But I do think that, like, that there, I don't know, I do think that it's important to do that. And so much of the world that we live in is, like, artifice and, like, these narratives that are not, reflective of reality at all and are really damaging and so it's like constant work to unpack those
1: you're saying that um there's a bunch of i mean well, let's let's just call it false narratives we won't try mm-hmm. to unpack what they are right now but that people are accepting a, a kind of a version of reality that kind of works good enough to um you know work and get paid mm-hmm. you you've been um for some reason, you've stepped a little outside of that and you're you're thinking about those narratives do you think um do you think it's sort of uh this own uh i'm going to call it a gift um mm-hmm. or do you think uh kind of you, you were you were knocked out of the normal path and so that gave you a different vantage point to look look at things
0: gosh you're asking hard questions <laughs> um i don't know i mean i think that like I I feel very strongly that I have just been very like uh sort of lucky and I feel like a lot of people have like pushed very hard <laughs> to get me to a place where I like can have the perspective that I have. Like a lot of totally unwarranted labor has been put in by um people around me. I mean, you know, I have friends that I'm still very close to who has friends with in elementary school and they you know were the recipients maybe of like a more um healthy family ecosystem, and they worked really hard to like impart that upon me you know like i I feel like I feel like people have worked really hard to get me to a place where i could could use my perspective in the way that I do, and then I'm just the lucky recipient of of their labor um and and of you know, I mean I also spent a lot of time like just reading. I didn't have a television growing up and so I also feel like I've been kind of isolated from a lot of the like um sort of like corrupting <laughs> maybe this is like mm-hmm. a like um I don't know, I had like a particular set of circumstances where I wasn't like assaulted in the same way that like a lot of people are by like negative m- messaging and and false narratives like you said. And I was just sort of hiding and, and reading. And a lot of the books that I read were great books. I mean, like, that I think are responsible for a lot of my, like, philosophy and belief in the world. And, like, those are my examples of... of what are
1: some of those books?
0: I love, like, Lord of the Rings. I read Lord of the Rings. I, I read all of, like, Laura Ingalls Wilder's books. I read, um, like, a lot of, like, E.B. White books. Um, I read, like... I mean, I read anything I could get my hands on. We used to go to the library and... Um, we only had one car. My mom actually didn't get her license until she was, like, 45 or something. So we would ride the bus, all five of us. <laughs> um, and we would go to the library, and I would get a stack of books that was, like, taller than I was. Like, I read everything that I could read. Um, and I I think books are, like, such a – they're so amazing because they, they, it's not just that they, like, open up other worlds and, and other things like that, but just the people that you meet in books are really extraordinary yes. people, and they're full, and they're yes. complex. Um, and some of them are full of integrity. and um,
1: So they and, gave you some role models in a way.
0: Yes, absolutely. Like, I, uh, I feel like I learned so much about how to have integrity from people in books. I should go back and think about, like, what books I actually, like, read. But I feel like it's more like it was, like, the culmination of them all, you know? Mm -hmm. And, like, some books, like, make you feel really weird and you're, like, ooh, I don't like that. And some books are just, like, so wonderful and they make you feel so hopeful. Um, And I love books about animals. I read all the, like, I think it was, like, Walter Fairley. He wrote, like, um, the Black Stallion books. Loved loved horses when I was a kid. But I used to I started skipping school in elementary school and I would hide in the library and read books.
1: You know, I've often thought that if we just read books we'd probably take care of a huge chunk of what we were doing in the classroom. But I that's feel that my way naive. Too. Okay. I like it when I like it when my naive kind of like toss offs end up being validated by someone who knows what they're talking about. You are completely um, right. <laughs> and um these so you were you you learned how to read um early is that true yes. did you learn how to read or was that your your did your mom teach you how to read
0: so I didn't know. Actually, now that I'm a teacher, this is really funny to me. I have a lot of, like, karmic situations now as a teacher, um, but I I thought that when you got a book from the school, you got to keep it, because my brothers would always bring home their textbooks, and then they would never take them back to school. Um, so, when I was, like, three or four, you know, my brothers started bringing home their, like, reading textbooks, and they were, like, books about how to learn how to read, and so they would sort of, like, practice with me at home, and I remember the first book I read was Frog and Toad are Friends. Frog and Toad are so great. I love them. But um but they're also very gentle with each other and there's one where he grows a garden and he can't get the garden to grow and <laughs> he does everything he he plays the violin for the garden. He sings to the garden. He begs the garden. He gets mad at the garden. Nothing works. Um of course it just takes time. And so I learned from those books, um, probably when I was like four. It was before I went to school. Um but I wasn't, like, a very good student, um, but I, which I think is funny because now I'm a teacher. And I also think it's funny. Every time I get, like, a, a really intense child who needs, like, a lot of love and support, I always think about my brother, Ed, who, like, made all of his elementary school teachers cry. Um, and it was just, like, off the wall. And now, you know, he's a Cornell graduate. I'm so proud of him. But, um, yeah, so I did learn to read early. Um, but it was because my... my brothers didn't understand that there or maybe didn't care that they were supposed to give their books back. <laughs> so, I just remember once like some teacher maybe came over or something and she saw all the books that we had that were from school and she was like, "Oh my gosh. <laughs> She's like, you guys know you're supposed to give those back." And she was like, "Really? That's my mom." <laughs> um, but yeah. Yeah. I like
1: Um I don't actually know you in the, in the real life, but I'm per- I'm fe- I'm feeling Pretty confident that you've taken you've taken like uh, like a cesspool and turned it into like rainbows. <laughs>
0: That's funny to hear to say. I do feel like it's been a messy process though, and I think this is true for like I don't know. I was reading. I've yeah. been following this. I, I'm not sure I even know how to say his name now. So I'm showing my ignorance. But um, is it who not Diaz? He like wrote the brief and wonderful life of Oscar Wow and a bunch of other things. He's like a Dominican writer. Anyway, he recently no, wrote know. about like this. It's really interesting, actually. So, you your bored later, you should look it up. But he, mm-hmm. um, he recently wrote a piece in the New Yorker about um, being like raped as a like an eight year old and how and sort of like his process oh. and the way that like masculinity is and how like people you yeah, know are yeah, yeah. just like this terrible thing. And it was like this really like beautiful, um, piece um and like really like powerful to read and like really brave and courageous of him to write and then following that um a bunch of other pieces came out from you know and he acknowledges in the piece that like his his like trajectory towards like learning and growth and and sort of becoming the person that he was was not clean and that you know he hurt people and things like that well then afterwards all these um women kind of came out and sort of wrote about the way that he had like exploited them either like sexually or, you know, physically or Mm -hmm. in in all of these different ways. And so, um, you know, it's been interesting, like having first read his like literary works, which are really incredible um, and Mm -hmm. like really respecting that. And then, you know, to find out that this person that I like really respect had this like really terrible, painful experience as a child and like went through all of this pain. Um, that like really resonated, and then to have the like a further um kind of have like yeah. participants in the me too movement sort of identify him as like um like someone who had like victimized them um was like such a, a such like an important um thing i think for people to like experience that so, like you know we we are messy people, and like I appreciate you saying that like you you like recognize our like shared light or whatever and um and that like that does make me feel good because i i feel like i've worked really hard not to be like a terribly depressed person or be like a mean person when like those two things are maybe the things that come most naturally to me um so it's nice to get feedback that's like oh yeah it seems like you're like doing that or making that happen i i like really appreciate that that is what i'm trying to do but also like it is messy, and I know that, like, I I mean, I've never done anything, like, um, like this writer that I talked about did, mm-hmm. um, but, like, I do think that, like, I have been, like, a painful or difficult person for other people to be around in a lot of situations, and, um, and uh, these women who are writing about this writer were talking about how, like, important it is for us to, like, find ways for people to heal that don't include, like, Just path that involves, like, hurting other people, um, which I think is so important. And, you know, I think maybe one possible pathway towards that is to, like, create spaces where people can talk about the things that have happened to them. And maybe even just, like, assume that a lot of people have been harmed in their lives and then structure society in such a way that, like, whether you've been harmed or not, you have, like, a space for, like, healing and growth and learning. And, um, yeah. Anyway, I can't remember what I was responding to, but you said something that made me think that. (laughs)
1: Um, pain or suffering echoes and we've talked about that and you've talked about how how some of the um, wise or insightful moments that an adult had with you to help you in a way like that echoed.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If someone suffers, you can probably guarantee that it will be handed to someone else before mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. get better, if they ever get better. I mean, yeah. and I've, I've I've heard all kinds of stories like that where people are unpacking their their past and you can kind of see all that messiness mm-hmm. you called it you um when you heard about uh, the the ugliness in this writer's past um how did it uh, how did you take that in
0: i mean uh, on the one hand. Like, obviously, hearing about something horrible happening to a kid is always just, like, really painful and just, like, so upsetting because there's so many stories that are so, like, horrific. We're just like, oh, like, how can can the world contain so much, like, pain and, like, so many people who are willing to or, are like, closed off enough from their own humanity that they're willing to, like, enact hate and like, that, you know? How can there be, like, so many people that, like, hurt kids? Um,
1: right. Maybe they were damaged, like you say, right. not that it's all passed on.
0: Right, right. And so, like, um, so there's always that, like, initial feeling where it's just, like, oh, it's like a, like a slap or something. It's, like, um, it's just, like, always, like, a shock. And then there's also, like, a part of me that when I read that, I was like, oh, man, like, there's, like, a sense of, like, not being, like, alone. Like, I think, um, and I think that's really important. Like, there are a lot of people who are, like, famous or accomplished or who um, are, like, like widely recognized to be, like, competent or excellent in some certain way. who have had, like, really painful um, childhoods or had really painful things happen to them. And... Knowing that is like, um, it kind of like is like a a beacon, sort of. It's like, oh, like, here are other examples of like people who have like experienced great pain and like done tremendous things, you know, despite or because of it. And um, it just like is really, it's like really affirming.
1: Um, This guy's, I I hope I'm not interrupting too much. Um, I was really thinking about when you found out that he was abusive. Mm. Women in his later years, like, then getting, like, slapped with that information? Like, how did... So upsetting. Like, it's did, like, yeah.
0: uh, it's like the, it's almost like the reverse a little bit, where it's like, this is, like, someone who maybe, like, I feel like um, pain is really instructive, in my experience, um, and it, like, it can have the impact of, like, opening you up, kind of. Um, if you can find a way to access that, or I can like shut you down in a way that, um, usually leads to like that pain being passed on in a way that's like, um, that hurts somebody else. And I think that like those stories where you like hear about someone experiencing pain and it seems to like open them up, um, and like they like do something beautiful with it, um, are both are, like, so encouraging in the way that I described. And, like, when you hear Like about the way it,
1: you're doing? It's like the way you're doing.
0: Maybe. Hopefully. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. Um, but then to hear, to hear, like, the other side, it's really... Um, it's hard when you, like, resonate with some part of someone, and then they do something that doesn't resonate, and... Uh, or even maybe, like, uh, evokes, like... Um, like, a, a building of your past or something, you know, and that, um, it just feels like a betrayal, kind of, um, where it's, like, uh. you're, you're someone who understands uh, what pain feels like, you know, and, like, and you're, and that is, um, this will sound weird, but that's, like, an opportunity to have, a, like, a fuller understanding of life, kind of, and, like, the the world that we live in and, like, humanness, kind of. Like, I mean, it can be, like, a way to, I feel like... Um, like a couple of years ago, I went through like a really terrible uh, breakup, like a romantic breakup with my first like very serious partner. And um, I came out of it feeling so grateful because I had like really avoided all romantic relationships my entire life. Like I just like couldn't deal with like intimacy or anything like that. Like I just I didn't know how to do it, and it was terrifying to me, and it seemed like it took up everybody's time and just, like, was
1: just a huge... (laughs) It's very (laughs) time-consuming. Love, you know, it's such a nuisance. (laughs) Exactly. And I was like,
0: I don't want any part of that. Um, (laughs) And it just, like, seemed like this, like, really painful thing that had no point. And then after I had this experience um, with this person where I, like, experienced, like, tremendous betrayal and hurt, and basically, like, I shared with this person... um, um, like details that I hadn't shared with anybody before and their response was to just like uh like immediately cheat on me and like end our relationship and it was like super sad and it, it, initially it seemed to like um affirm all the worst things I'd always like secretly thought about myself that I was like unlovable and the things that had happened to me made me like incapable of participating in normal relationships and that like no one would ever no one who ever really knew me would ever um be able to care about me and uh, you know, all of those things. And then after that, after I, like, got through those feelings, I realized that this was just, like, a person who, um, you know, wasn't able to, like, uh, deal with, like, hearing my story and that it wasn't necessarily, like, a reflection on me. Um, but I felt this, like, immense gratitude for having gone through this, like, terrible, like, it was, like, the worst emotional pain that I'd felt hmm. um, because it, I felt so connected to other people who, like, In the past, I must have been a terrible friend to my friends who were going through breakups because I didn't understand what it was like. And I was kind of like, oh, that's really sad. I feel bad for you, but whatever. (laughs) To, like, really have your, like, heart just, like, crushed and have, like, Uh all of your, like, dreams and hopes, like, obliterated and to have, (laughs) you know, like, the person that you trust most in the world just, like, uh, abandon you um, is, like, a way, like, I am such a better friend now because I... Uh know what that feels like and I can like I can connect with other people and like you know now I'm like a great friend when people go through breakups and I you know have all the good poems that make you feel better and like
1: all that other <laughs> you know, stuff. You got like a little kit a little breakup kit. I do, kit, and, like, I really you,
0: do. but um, <laughs> <laughs> but like um I yeah I ended up you know I took several years but I ended up like walking away from that experience being really grateful that I had it because it connected me to other people in a way that I had like intentionally sort of shut myself off from um, and it's, like, a really important way because, you know, most people who are alive at one point or another have their hearts broken, and that's, like, a really formative experience. And it also, I think, was one of the things that pushed me into, like, the third stage. <laughs> we weren't talking about the stages. But, like, yeah. the idea that, like, I had a responsibility to, like, deal with my shit, kind of. Um, because if I didn't, you know, uh, then I wasn't going to be someone... Who would be able to, like, date people without harming them or, you know, like, uh, just, like, exist in the world in a very full way. Um, and that I had kind of been, like, languishing in this, like, period of feeling like, well, none of this is my fault. So I don't have to deal with it. And if I'm, like, depressed all the time, like, that's not my fault and I don't have to deal with that. Not thinking about, like, what it's like to date someone who's, like, horribly depressed. I imagine it's, like, really terrible. Um not I mean, you know, that's, obviously there's like lots of details to everything and I'm not painting very yeah, full yeah, picture. But no. yeah. I just feel like when I think about this author who I like really respect and I think about hearing his story and how like I was like, mm. Oh, like I, I really connect to your struggle and it's so hopeful and then hearing like the way that um, he sort of like replicated not well, in mean, exactly the same way, but in a lot of ways like replicated that um that sort of, like, you know, dominant person, like, exploiting people who have no power when you are very powerful and and how that relationship, like, plays out all over the place. Like, um, you know, whether it's, like, with governments or whether it's with adults and children or whether it's with, you know, um, like, romantic partners or whatever. Like, that, um, that relationship is really horrible. And to me, it's very overt. Like, it's hard for me to imagine, like, participating in that without knowing that you're participating in that. But, you know, maybe that's wrong. Like, I feel like, um, you know, a lot of the discourse around, like, white privilege, for instance, is the idea that, like, privilege is invisible to the people that have it. And so it's very hard yeah. to talk to someone who has privilege and so they can't see how privileged they are when you're a person who can never, like, not see it because it's denied to you. And he's, like, very explicit in, like, awful daily ways. Um, and so maybe... Um, power is like that in some ways too um but it's painful to hear about for sure
1: (laughs) that notion of um like white privilege being invisible to those that have it or in general Mm -hmm. uh, i feel that is a political statement that i that resonates with me but um i also see it reflected in um And almost in our psychology, you know, Mm -hmm. like all those things that we're blind to. uh, And that is another reason why I like talking to people because I like exploring. It's almost like I'm saying, well, you look at that reality, like what are you seeing? Mm -hmm. Because I'm really curious. Like I think (laughs) it's something different. Um, So um, here's here's sort of a question about that. Mm -hmm. John Covington, do you ever wonder what, That was episode five of Like You. My name is John Zelson. Part two of this interview with Emma is coming up in the next episode. Thank you for listening and goodbye for now.